All right. Good morning, Rock Church. It is so good to see you. If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord, we just kind of celebrate a little bit today. That's how I feel. All right. It is a sunny Sunday. There's nowhere I would rather be. I'm thankful for those of you who are joining us online. I just love seeing each of you here in person. And uh, I just like to start and just look around the room. Say hello. So good to see you. Many of you seeing again and again. And it's just great to see you again, friends. And I know we do have some people. You're here for the very first time. And I want you to know that as a, as a, as a spiritual family, um, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, you are guests. Um, with us today, but you're our honored guests. So Rock Church, like never before, whether they're online or in person, will you please give them the biggest, warmest welcome if it's your first time. Welcome to The Rock. Come on, cheer for them. We're glad you're here. And the reason people are cheering for you is because they remember their first time uh, encountering this spiritual family. Uh, they know the difference that it's made in their lives. We, we've been, already been singing about it and talking about it, how our lives are being transformed. That, that's what this, this whole season, this whole series of rhythm is about, that, that transformation takes time. But putting into practice the right kind of things sets us in the direction where God's spirit accomplishes more than we can imagine. And so rhythm is saying, hey, what are, what are the habits that Jesus had? What were the predictable patterns of his life that he intended for us to pick up and become a part of our life? In other words, what would Jesus do on a sunny summer day in Maine? And really, how would it change our lives if our habits and our patterns were the same as his. That's really what we've been asking week by week. And thank God we have a guidebook. Um, we have a Bible. We have the scriptures to reveal to us. This is the way of Jesus. And we're finding as we put it into practice, ah, doesn't it get better and better? Come on. Anybody that took a Sabbath last week. Okay. Last Sunday, Pastor Tim brought the heat. He preached some fire as he said, Hey, God has this gift for you. He has a blessing for you. It's called Sabbath. And so I had a fantastic Sabbath this week. Ah, refreshed, rest, and ready to go today. So um, I hope you feel the same way. Rhythm, here's, here's one of the ways that I think of it, and we ought to also, is it's practicing the ways of Jesus in everyday life. Everyday life. How does this show up Monday, Wednesday? I, I talked about it for years. Um, as, as, a, as a pastor, I know a lot of people think I, I really only have a life for like an hour or two a week. I know that that's what people think, like, like pastors exist for like an hour on Sunday and then they just disappear for six days and then they reappear. Um, but no, I live every day, okay? Just like you, I live every day and, and have a family and have a neighborhood um, that for years served in the military. And, and I said, here's the deal. If this doesn't work on Monday, then, then we are wasting our time. If we don't talk about how does this word, how does the life of Jesus, how do the ways of Jesus show up in our lives on Wednesday night and Friday night, then, then we're missing the point. And Jesus lived in a way every day. And, and so I want you to know, I feel, I feel like it's just good for me to say, like, I am putting this into practice. Come on, how many of you think the preacher ought to be a part of the process? Come on, any of you like, let's do this. And we're in this together. And I was a little humbled. I mean, there were seasons, and the, the thing about Sabbath, I was a little humbled last week. There was a little conviction of the Holy Spirit, even for pastor. There were, I had some really strong habits of Sabbath and, and some sacred times in the past. 
And he might have slowly just slipped a little bit, you know, and, you know, I didn't get a mile off course, but, but, but I wavered just enough for the Holy Spirit to give me some correction last week. And I want you to know I'm thankful for it. I hope you feel this way. Like, do you know that God corrects us? He loves us so much. This is what it means to be children of God. This is what it means to be in the family of God. He loves us so much, he corrects us. And I'm thankful for it because the longer I go off course, the more serious and significant the consequences get. That's why this rhythm, this habit, we started worship, gathered worship regularly, reestablishing. You're first. You you call the shots. I follow. You you call the play. I, I do what you say. That's why this is so important. It's constant correction, and I love it. I love it. I hope you feel the same way. So uh, just putting this into practice, um, one of the things that as we've been looking into rhythm, Jesus and the relationship with his disciples, just again, everyday relationship, everyday, he met them. Where did he meet his disciples? At the lake. The guys were out fishing and they all got together fishing. Going to the lake's a good thing. Jesus does that and, and he engages in it. They're in houses having meals, sharing meals together. Oh, not going to give a cue to next week, but slight anticipation about next Sunday. You're going to love it. Um, You realize they spent holidays together. In the scriptures, every time it talks about Jesus went to Jerusalem, he was in the temple, almost every time that was a national holiday, what they would call in the Old Testament feasts and festivals. And so for us, it's 4th of July, it's Memorial Day. Jesus spent big holidays with his big days and small days. He was in this community of followers of Christ, Christians, other disciples all sharing it. Do we have the same habits? Truly, what Kim and I have been asking each other, looking at our calendar and our relationship, do we have the same habits? Do we have the same rhythms, the same way that Jesus did? And so, so we've really been leaning into um, spending some time, I get really connecting with a few other couples consistently. One of my friends has a great gift of hospitality. Aren't you thankful for friends who have a gift of just creating space? They make it seem so easy uh, for a few different families to show up, share meals together. Oh, but as we've been sharing meals together, as we've been connecting weekly, friends and and couples together, um, we've also included faith. Please don't miss that when we talk about having really living connections all throughout the week. Um, Your church family should be the the families that you're meeting with for coffee or for playing sports, meeting at the beach, whatever it is, but include faith in the middle of it. And so we've had to be very intentional. We share a meal and we're we're talking about food and, and the good things that are happening or about work. But then we pause and say, but what about faith? Where, does, where, do you, where are the successes in your spiritual life? Where are the struggles? And it's been great. It's been so refreshing. It's been so much fun. Oh, so parents, this is a warning to parents. How many of you are parents in the house? How many of you are kids? Raise your hands. Parents in the house, participation. Okay, a bunch of parents here. Here's the problem, parents. If you start having fun, your kids are going to want to join you. Okay, so it started off, it was just Kim and I like, hey, we just want to go to dinner together with friends. And our kids are like, you're having fun? Not without us. And so now our kids want to come on. No, I'm kind of kidding. But they, they do, they, they just, and this is the life of Jesus. So here's what I want to do. Today, we're going to dive into the scriptures. We're going to look at another rhythm of Jesus' life. And this is literally, this may be one of the most consistent themes of Jesus' life. And so we're going to go to the final week of Jesus' life in your Bibles. That is John chapter 13. So find your Bibles. Go ahead, everyone that has a paper Bible, go ahead and grab that. Turn to John chapter 13 in my Bible. That's page 1389 sure it's not the same in your Bible, uh, but it's in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels, the fourth of the Gospels. You should be able to find it or look in the concordance, um, look it up. Those of you that don't have a paper Bible, you can go ahead and use your glow-in-the-dark Bible. I had a friend a few weeks ago go, Eric, the first time you said glow-in-the-dark Bible, I was so fired up. I was like, there's a glow-in-the-dark Bible? And I was like, it's your your smartphone. He's like, oh, 
Never mind, that's not as cool. Um, but I encourage you, because we want to encounter the scriptures in context. Um, I want you to be able to underline, highlight, let these words come alive to you. And, and this is the final, as I said, this is the final week of Jesus' life. In fact, John chapter 13, this is the final night, the last meal he will share with his disciples. Most of you may be familiar with that, the Last Supper. This is where Jesus takes the Passover and he transforms it into communion or the Eucharist, Lord's Supper, uh, that we continue to remember as a sacred rhythm even to this day. But here we are. John chapter 13 and verse 1, it begins like this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or some, some translations say, he showed them the full extent of his love. I'm so thankful that Jesus, in these final moments, he only has a, a few hours, uh, just one more opportunity. And he says, I just want to demonstrate my love again. I want to show you again the, the, the extent of my love for you. Verse 3 says this. It's not on the screen, just listen. It says, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. I want to highlight that because let me say that again. Jesus knew he had come from God. He knew he was returning to God. Do you know what that means about Jesus? It means his identity was secure. Jesus is about to do some things that some of us may have trouble doing. Jesus is about to demonstrate the ways of God in ways that we may struggle with. And you say, how could he do that? Because his identity was secure. I, re I remember seasons in my life where, where instability is the only way I could describe myself. My, my identity wasn't, it wasn't grounded in Christ. It wasn't grounded in who, I, who God made me to be and what God said about me. And so I kind of always had to be looking for someone else to help define me. And that's a place of instability. Um, I, I, had a, I had a lack of self-esteem because I didn't know what God thought about me. And so I was constantly trying to present an image that I thought others wanted from me. And it creates an instability. And it may be that you're here today and you feel that instability. You feel how, whether it's the waves of culture or how, whether it's the opinions of people, influences you in ways that you say, I don't even want to be that. I don't even want to go that way. Why do I? Maybe you haven't discovered your identity in Christ. So I want to encourage you to listen carefully, lean into these scriptures. In fact, I feel like we should pray. Will you just bow your heads for a moment? Jesus, we want to learn from you. This is your word. These are your words. It's the life that you lived and you, you offered to us. And so we ask that you, the living word, would now speak to us by the power of your spirit, that your word would not just reach our ears and our, our minds. Oh, let our minds be changed. Let our thinking be transformed. But we pray that this word would penetrate our hearts and that we would not just believe different, but we would be different because of what you are doing today. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, say amen. 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 So Jesus had his identity, and you can have a secure and sound identity found in Christ. But please listen. Um, so here's what happened. So knowing who he was and knowing where he was going, look what Jesus did next. So Jesus, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel 
around him. Jesus is doing this great act of service. He is washing feet. He is washing and washing and washing and washing. Come on, 12 disciples. That is 24 feet, everybody. This took a while. What was Jesus up to? Well, I love the Bible. It takes and it narrows the story in. I'm sure he had many different interactions with the different disciples as he was doing this. But the Bible focuses in on just one, just one person's response. Jesus is demonstrating this rhythm of serving. This is a rhythm of Jesus' life. Oh, you find it from beginning to end of the Gospels. Every page, near every every experience, he's serving. But as it zeroes in on him serving on this final night, we get the interaction of one person. It says that Jesus came to wash Peter's feet. And when he came to Simon Peter, Simon Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Simon knew how wrong this was. He knew how imbalanced this situation was. You washing my feet? This is inappropriate. This role was too low for you. Peter just didn't want to do this because his pride and his ego. And Jesus said to him, You don't realize now what I am doing, but later on you'll understand. No, said Peter. No. Come on, somebody in the house might be a little bit like Peter, and I need every one of us to shout the word no as loud as we can. Peter said what? Peter said no. You guys are really good at that. Wow. Anyway, um, Peter protested. No, you will never wash my feet. I love how Peter has conviction, but it's misguided and it needs correction. Now pause on this for a moment. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. This is the end of the story, folks. This is the last week. This is the last night. Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. Peter had watched Jesus serve and serve and serve and do miracle after miracle. Peter had listened to Jesus' teachings, inspired, anointed word of God, just like you experience here at the Rock Church every week. No, 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 way better than that. He literally listened to the word of God, teaching the word of God. He listened to Jesus speaking. And three years later, he still had convictions say no. Can I tell you? Can I, can I warn you the same thing that I feel like the spirit is warning me? It's possible for us to develop attitudes or convictions about the way things should be, but still need correction. Can we have some humility in the house? But sometimes we can develop a, I know how things ought to be done. I know what, I know what the church ought to do next. I know what that person needs. I know. And Jesus said, Peter, you've been with me three years, but I'm still correcting you. I'm still maturing you. This is why it's so important for us to be a part of worshiping God and putting him first. And so look what Jesus needs to teach Peter. Here's what he says. He says, listen, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. Oh, Peter changes his tune. This is what I like about Peter. He hears Jesus say this. If I don't do this, you don't belong to me. And Peter goes, wait a minute. I'm all in. Come on, think about our code statements. Remember, we just talked about all in. Peter's like, hey, if this is how I'm in, if this is how I belong, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my heads, head to toe, wash wash all of it. Because I want to be all in. All my chips are on the table. This is the kind of community that we want to be. And Jesus does honor that. He's like, ah, you're figuring it out. He says, if you don't let me wash you, you'll never experience all that I have for you. And so let me pause on this for a moment. Because it says you belong. You belong. Some of you are already thinking of our code statements. We have a code statement here that says you belong. 
But Jesus says your belonging starts with belief, that we are not born belonging in the family of God. The Bible cautions us we are born with a sin nature that's separated from God. We are born on a path that if we continue to follow in our own stubbornness, we end up far from God. This is the caution. God loves you so much, he wants you to know the truth. And he says, but, so if you don't, if you don't let me wash you, you don't belong. But if you will, if you'll make Jesus your Lord, if you'll let Jesus forgive your sins, if you'll let Jesus become the leader of your life, we're gonna live like he's king. He says, you belong. And I wanna say that as a word of hope to you, that you may be here today and, and you may have thought that it was just showing up. You may have thought that it was, that faith or Christianity or discipleship, it's just an hour, it's, it's a few songs, it's a, it's a good lesson and I'll go try to be a better person. No, it's not that at all. Jesus says, you need to belong to me. You need to make me your Lord and leader. And if you feel like, man, I'm not sure faith is working. You already heard a little bit of it as Lisa shared her story. It's like I was leaning into God, but I wasn't fully yielded to God. I hadn't given him, I hadn't gone all in. And what a difference it makes. If you haven't done that, will you please do that today? Let today be that day. Jesus says, you can belong to me. So after washing their feet, after he had finished, Jesus put on his robe, sat down and said, do you understand what I was doing? And again, remember, he kept washing and washing and washing foot after foot after foot, which really bugs me because I don't like feet that much. And I know this is my issue and, and it may not be you, but I just, I, I'm thankful for socks. I love sneakers and shoes because whatever you got going on down there, I don't, I don't, I don't what's that with your toes and whatever? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But here's Jesus washing feet. And again, washing and washing. And wa I wish he had only washed like two or three disciples and be like, there, there. That's enough. That's the example. I, I've just kind of, it's just an illustration. But it was way more than that. This was a demonstration of the rhythm of Jesus' life. And it's the rhythm of serving. And so he said, let me be clear. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you, oh, verse 13. I have given you an example to follow. Ready? Verse 15. Do as I have done for you. Come on, it's in bold and it's in yellow. The last sentence up there, let's say it out loud together. We need to do what? We need to do as I have for you. Listen, Jesus wants every one of us to have the heart and the habits of a servant. That's his goal. And he said, you know what, my last moment, the last thing I can do, let me model it for you one more time. You ever wonder why the disciples didn't? You thought about that? Why, why, didn't, why didn't the disciples, why wasn't there a race to the basin? Why, why wasn't there a battle to the bull? Jesus had modeled this rhythm of serving over and over again. And in fact, they had at times in the past done some, some serious acts of service. Why do you think they weren't this day? You ever pause to wonder that? I think I understand at least a little bit of why. I'm not saying this is the only reason, but if you were in their situation, you would realize that they were immersed in a, in a culture of chaos right then. Maybe this will help connect to some of where you are today. I, I want you to understand that serving is a blessing, not a burden. I want you to understand that as we talk about the rhythm of serving, I know that some people already, when I said that, the rhythm of serving, Jesus had a ribbon, rhythm, a pattern, a habit of serving, and that's what he has for you. Some of you went, oh, that might feel heavy. That might feel like a weight. I think the disciples felt that way that day. You know why? 
They were immersed in a culture of chaos. Boy, it was just, it was just five days prior. It was Sunday, Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and it was a celebration. It was a parade and a party. Hosanna, Hosanna. And the disciples are like, we're on top. The world is awesome. Until Monday. And then opposition came. And then they found that political leaders didn't agree with their opinions. Then they found that culture and the people around them, uh, the ones that weren't cheering Hosanna, were cheering crucify. They were immersed in a culture of chaos. And I think some of us feel this way today. In fact, I think most of you do because I hear from my students. I say, Pastor Eric, the things the kids are talking about in my classroom are so contrary to, to, to what I'm seeing in the scriptures and what I'm hearing from the heart of God. It seems like a hard time to serve. I hear it from adults. They're like in the marketplace, whether it's my manager or my coworkers, what, what people believe about culture, what they're, what they're chasing after with sexuality, what the, what, what, the, what the arguments are. Oh, we're way past politics and pandemic. We're into whole new levels of culture war going on. And it can be exhausting. And Jesus said, hey, in the midst of that, this rhythm should not be lost because actually this will become a wellspring of blessing to you. So Jesus, once again, with the storm clouds gathering, with his crucifixion just hours away, said, I want you to have the habits and the heart of a servant. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you snapshots. I'm going to give you three snapshots of how Jesus served. Again, I told you it's from the beginning of the book to the end. Jesus didn't save this at the end like icing. This is how he started ministry. And then as I give you three snapshots of Jesus, I'm going to tell you three stories. Three stories of people just like you, men and women just like you, A few of them are people that are in this church. We're going to start in John chapter 4. If you're in your Bibles, turn back to John chapter 4. This is a pretty familiar event in the life of Jesus. It's the woman at the well. This is where Jesus goes to the region of Samaria and meets a woman at the well. Now, the woman at the well, this woman is a relational dumpster fire. She is an RDF. To the core. And you say, how do you know she's a relational dumpster fire? One, because she's at the well alone. Okay, a woman is not supposed to travel to the well alone. It says she's at the well at midday. She wasn't supposed to go to the well at midday. She was supposed to go in the morning with all the other women in a very social environment. She is isolated, separated, and disliked. You know why? The Bible says she's had five husbands. And the dude she's living with now is not her husband. <laughs> Say relational dumpster fire. <laughs> this is the person that when, the, when you see their posts online, you cringe, okay? When you get a notification that, oh, so-and-so has posted again, you're like, oh, I hope this one isn't as bad as the last one. That's the person. This is the person that when it's a gathering, whether it's a family gathering, and, and you just walk away feeling worse than when you showed up. This is the coworker. You show up and you're having a good day. Five minutes into it is a bad day. How many of you know a relational dumpster fire? Raise your hand if you've met or know a relational dumpster fire. Come on, wow, only four of you. The rest of you are blessed and you live in a different world than me. You're like, I am the relational dumpster fire. I'm just waiting for that option. I'm not going to give you that option. We all know someone like this, but look what Jesus does. We just look at what Jesus does. Here's what Jesus does. When the Samaritan woman came to the well, Jesus said to her, will you give me something to drink? I love this. This is a moment where Jesus is initiating, he's initiating a gospel conversation. He's actually starting a connection that's going to lead to something very inspired in a work of the Holy Spirit. But look how he initiates it. He finds common ground, not a battleground. 
Maybe someone needs to write that in their notes. Look at the way of Jesus. Look at the way Jesus serves. He finds common ground, not a battleground. Oh, she's a Samaritan. Samaritans couldn't be more different spiritually than Jews. It's a woman and he's a man. She's at the well at the wrong time. He could have said anything he wanted to offend her in that moment. And instead, he said, let me find something we identify with. We're at a well. You're thirsty, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Let's just acknowledge. Let's find something in common. Come on, anybody seeing that our culture finds more ways to divide than unite and thinks that the church, we ought to begin to look for common ground. We just celebrate the way we serve finds common ground, not a battleground. But, but because Jesus finds common ground, he's quickly able to move to a spiritual conversation. And so Jesus makes this statement. He says, God is a spirit. And those who worship him, oh, if they're going to be worshipers of the father, they're going to worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know Messiah, the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. You know what that means? She had spiritual thoughts. She had spirit. She's saying, I have questions about God that are unanswered. And I'm waiting for Messiah to explain them. Even this relational dumpster fire had something going on, had spiritual interest. And Jesus says, I am. I am that one. And the woman drops her water pot and runs back into town. Now, please don't think that that means the conversation went bad. Um, this is actually a success. She actually went back to town and invited all the townspeople to come meet Jesus. Here's what Jesus is doing as he's serving her. He's serving her by sharing the good news. He's serving her by answering her spiritual questions. And you know what? This woman will never come back to the well alone again. He's going to heal not only her heart, he's going to heal her relationships with people and community. Her life will be forever transformed by this moment. And so here's what I want to encourage us to do, church. I want to commission us to do this, to be people who recognize the moments God has given us. What does that look like today? I'm going to give you an example, a modern day example of recognizing the moment. Jesus just saw the moment. I'm going to make some common ground and let's see what God will do. I'll tell you about Terry Milas. Terry Milas was a taxi cab driver in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I know about Terry Milas because Terry, my buddy Anthony, Anthony's a pastor friend of mine in the Northeast here, and uh, Terry is Anthony's dad. Terry Milas was in Philadelphia driving a taxi because his son Anthony was a student ministry pastor in their church. Student ministry is so important. The gathering of, of church family is so important that Terry wanted to get a job that would pay for his bills, but leave him enough flexibility to serve in the church. How many of you Terry had a rhythm of serving already aligned with Jesus? Well, one day he's driving his big yellow taxi cab, pulls up to a stop. A woman gets in the back of the car. Before she can even say the address, she just begins weeping. She's crying in the backseat of the taxi cab. Terry turns to her and says, ma'am, is what's wrong? What are you going through? And, and through tears, of course, she begins to tell a story about her son. He's on drugs. He, he's making bad decisions. It's destroying the family. It's taking him off course for his life. Terry says, ma'am, I'll pray for you, but there's two things that need to happen. I love someone who recognizes the opportunity. He says, ma'am, there's two things that need to happen. One I will do and one you need to do. I said, ma'am, here's what I'm going to do. This Sunday at 9.30, I will have my taxi cab at the end of your driveway. That's the first thing that's going to happen. The second thing that's going to happen is up to you. You need to have your son at the end of your driveway Sunday morning at 9.30 because I want to take him to church. My son's a student ministry pastor. 
and he knows the good news, and he can help give encouragement and life to your son. That Sunday morning at 9.30, Terry Miles pulled up to the end of the driveway. There were two people at the end of the driveway. That boy was there, not the mama. <laughs> mama wasn't interested in being in church or whatever. She just wanted, but the boy and his best friend were standing at the end of the driveway. Terry took him to church. And they met a group of people who love God. They met, not right away, but over time, that boy kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And one day made, they made a decision of faith. One day got baptized. And today, he's a ministry leader. He's been a pastor in churches, a man here. Come on, how many of you know serving matters and makes a difference? They're just snapshots of serving, okay? Just snapshots of serving. We see it over and over in Jesus' life. That was Jesus meeting the woman at the well. That was one of the first things he did. Another thing very early, again, early in his ministry, throughout, end of his ministry. Another thing Jesus did very early on, you all know it, he, he fed thousands of people. He fed thousands of people with bread. And, and he just saw a need and took action to meet it. But I think the biggest miracle when we talk about Jesus feeding thousands, wasn't necessarily that Jesus fed them. I think the biggest miracle was that his disciples participated. See, God had a great plan to make a difference in a lot of people's lives. But the disciples had a decision to make. This, this basin choice, this serving priority. The disciples could have said, that looks like too many people. I'm not passing out bread. The disciples could have said, I've stood here all day, just like they've stood here all day. I'm the one who's tired, just like they're tired. I, I can't serve right now. And they would have missed out in being in the middle of a miracle. And so I just want to encourage us to be people who participate in the opportunity. We should anticipate these opportunities. And so let me tell you a story about someone right here in our church. I want to tell you about Walter. Walter is one of the kids in our children's ministry. That means we're talking about one of the families at the Rock Church, someone at the Rock Church who's in elementary school. Children's ministry. Everybody say children's ministry. Walter saw the needs of people in Portland, just like you and I see them. He saw people on street corners. He saw people with signs. They seemed hungry, lonely. He knew that they were certainly hurting. And Walter said to his parents, hey, this Christmas season, can we do something for people who are hurting? How many of you know that's a proud parent moment um, for, for Ed and Teresa? How, how many of you know that when your elementary age kid is like, you know what I want for Christmas? I want to be able to give hot chocolate to hurting people on a snowy day. And so the parents leaned into it. Um, you even as a church, you didn't even know this, but you leaned in just a little bit. We had a few big, big cans of hot cocoa available. Of course, we have air pots and ways to make hot water and all that. And just all we did is partner and encourage with something that someone else saw an opportunity to serve. And on Christmas Day, Walter went out and served hot cocoa to hurting and homeless people in Portland just took a step of serving. But Walter knew that serving, it's not a one-time event. It's a rhythm of serving. Even at his age, he knew it's a rhythm. And so we get to a springtime day and he says, you know what? There's still people in Portland who need help. I bet they're hungry. I bet they don't just need cocoa. Maybe people are hungry. And so they started preparing hot dogs. Just make some hot dogs, wrap them up, carry a little bag of hot dogs to the park to share. Teresa said it was terrifying that day. Because there were more people in the park than hot dogs in the bag. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? They were like, oh, there's more needs than I have resource for. And these are Teresa's words, not mine. She said, Eric, God did a miracle that day. 
I guarantee you, we had a few dozen hot dogs in the bag and about 100 people walked toward us, but we never ran out. Maybe God did a miracle in that moment in the serving. Just participate in serving. And so I want to let you know there's one more opportunity. This is for families, families and TRC kids. You know who you are. You parents who drop your kids off and TRC kids coming up. We have a, we're, we're just going to partner with this. Keep taking a next step. It's called blessing bags. We're going to be stuffing blessing bags in the next two weeks. Again, if your kids are in children's ministry, you'll see this on our website, on your TRC Portland parents page. Your kids will get these cards about stuffing blessing bags. Come on, how many you think we ought to stuff about 100 blessing bags and make a difference in Portland? Will you cheer? Come on, we're going to do that. And all of you that are like, I don't have kids in children's ministry. What do I do? I have something for you, but we'll get back to it. One final snapshot, okay? One final snapshot. And this may be the one that surprises you. I shared it a few weeks ago that Jesus had a rhythm of worship, of gathered worship, just like this, that he would regularly go to the synagogue. That means Jesus went to church. And I shared a few weeks ago how one day when he went to church, he met a man who had a, a, a crippled hand. It said his hand was withered and shriveled, and Jesus served him. But that was not a one-time event. This is a rhythm of Jesus' life. Luke 13. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke 13. Let me share this with you. Here's what the Bible says in Luke 13. It says, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. Again, where was Jesus on Sunday? He was in gathered worship just like this. It was his rhythm. And a woman was there who had been crippled. You realize that as we gather here today, people with needs aren't just in Portland and they aren't just in a taxi cab. The people with needs are right next to you, to your left and to your right. They're in our student classes up there in the middle school and they're in our elementary classes in the back part of the building. Some of you are going, that's me. I've come here today crippled. And Jesus called that woman forward he did a miracle by the power of God and healed her. But I want you to see this, that the rhythm of serve can involve serving the people in your church family. This was part of Jesus' rhythm of serving. He served the people in his church family. That's what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 3. That's what Jesus is doing here in Luke chapter 13, where he says, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Do you know many times God chooses the place of ministry and of healing and of help to be right here in this gathering with the people that are around you right now? Snapshots of service. Serving in the church. I recently had an experience where I was speaking with some of our high schoolers, and we asked the question, who are your spiritual heroes? Who do you look up to? And, and just, they were a model of faith or they impacted your life. They're a spiritual hero to you. And one of the high schoolers said, oh, that's easy. It was my children's ministry, back then it was TRC Kids, TRC Kids teacher. But she didn't just teach my TRC Kids class. She also taught Junior Bible Quiz. Junior Bible Quiz is known as JBQ. Say Junior Bible Quiz out loud and with me. Come on, it was Junior Bible Quiz. And Junior Bible Quiz is where kids, elementary age kids get together. They memorize scriptures. Uh, they memorize statements about Christian living or even doctrine and theology, like statements about why baptism is significant or what it means. Um, and they memorize them and then they have a game. In the game, it's like a game show. You know, the, the host reads a question and boop, 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 you hit the answer and buzz in. And, and this high schooler said, when I was in elementary Wonderwit led junior Bible quiz. And it just made me want to study the Bible. And it wasn't just junior Bible quiz. She shared her life. She answered my questions. She talked to me about faith. 
when this high schooler said, I, I know my Bible better because Miss Whitney served in the church. In fact, I love Jesus more today because of the way she modeled her faith. And today that high school student serves in children's ministry, making a difference in kids' lives. How, come on, how many of you think serving makes a difference? Here we go. So it's my question. This is the rhythm of Jesus. Is it our rhythm? Is it your rhythm? Have you made the decisions? So where do you connect? What does it look like for you? Have I already been obvious? One of them may be dream team. It may just be one of, some of, sometimes the best starting point of the rhythm of service to say, hey, I want to, I want to serve in my church family. Uh, our worship team shows you the difference it makes. Those who do sound and video. I just met someone today. They said, you know what, Pastor Eric, we're caring, we're caring for a family member who, who's in a, in a really difficult health situation. So, so we can't leave the house because we have to care for them. Your serving online is feeding our souls every single week. Thank you, video team. Thank you, audio team. Thank you, tech team. Come on, will you thank our teams? Because your serving is helping save someone else. So maybe it's stream team. Maybe it's stream team. Maybe it's projects. Maybe it's projects. Come on, you're a TRC kids family and you're like, we're going to be a part of blessing bags. And I told you a bunch of you are mad because you can't do blessing bags because you don't have kids in TRC kids. This Saturday, everybody say Saturday. This Saturday, we need a few dozen people to serve our neighbors right next door. We have the most beautiful neighborhood uh, of people, and we have the opportunity for those who are in this retirement community to be served. And so we just have projects waiting for you, waiting for someone to say, I want to help. You can put this rhythm of serve into practice this week. And you do that when you leave today, when you go through those doors, go straight to Connection Central. Just put your name on the list. We'll have a great team leader. You'll serve with a few friends from the church. And, uh, and we begin to walk with a rhythm of serve. And then finally, I put this one up there, and I've never used this before, but home team. That Walter didn't wait for a team or a, or a, or a church gathering. He just saw a need and served. Maybe you have a neighbor. Maybe you have a neighbor that you, you know they don't have anyone to talk to. And you're just going to, this week, you're going to go to the mailbox the same time they're at the mailbox. You're going you're gonna to drag your recycles out the same time they drag their recycles out. Just looking for an opportunity like Jesus did with the woman at the well to find common ground. And trust that God may do more than you could ever ask or imagine. I don't know what home team means to you. Maybe you're making desserts or some uh, wonderful uh, treat at the end of a day for your family. But just, just double the recipe and drop one off at a neighbor's house. And just show the love of God in the most practical ways. I want to offer that to all of us. Let me close with this final thought. I'm going to ask our worship team to come so we can respond to the Holy Spirit with this. But look what Jesus said. After he had washed the disciples' feet, he said, hey, now that you know these things, hey, now that you've listened to your pastor talk all morning on Sunday about this stuff, now that you know this, now that you have three examples of a guy in a taxi cab and a kid with a burden for neighbors or a teacher and children, now that you know this, you are blessed if you, come on, say it out loud, you're blessed if you, you're blessed if you do. Jesus lived with a rhythm of serve. And he said, I actually want to give it to you as a gift. This isn't a burden. This is a blessing. You're blessed if you do them. We always thought they were blessed. I always thought the kids in the class were blessed if I led the class. No, I was always the one most blessed. I always thought the people who attended my group were blessed. No, if I hosted the group, I was clearly the one who got the greater blessing. Jesus says, I'm trying to give you a gift. Will you receive it? and make this your habit, your rhythm.
realize the, the greatest act of Jesus' service was that he gave his life for us. When he said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, this is what he was saying. It's like when I say wash your feet, what I'm about to do is die on a cross to wash your sins away. That means that you can be forgiven of everything in the past, everything present, have a grace that even covers that which is ahead so that your eternity is secure. And it's time for us to celebrate that. I'm gonna ask you to stand together. The greatest act of service ever done was Jesus became a suffering servant who gave his life for us. And so let's respond by worshiping him and honoring him with this song. We sing to our Lord Jesus in a way that he deserves. <laughs>